Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host, Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Happy Monday to everyone. Eric, man, oh man, what a Super Bowl that was between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Miami will be basking in the afterglow of that for a long time. I, look, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, so, so many places we could start. I mean, uh, one tackle, whew, that was uh, that was something else. And uh, boy, talk about clutch plays. Uh, we we saw a few of those, didn't we? Uh, so. Oh boy, also <laughs> there was that time where. It looked as if that third down was not going to get converted, and it was. Right. And then yes. there was that other time where it looked like it was certain to be converted, and it wasn't. Right. I mean, that was that was that was amazing stuff. Amazing yeah. I mean, stuff. I mean, the important thing is that the the, the best team won, and and that's what right. matters. But you know, there's a little luck too. It never hurts to have a little luck. Absolutely, absolutely. There's that one incident people will be talking about for for quite some time. Yeah. Um, look, we have no idea what we're talking about. Um, look, you guys <laughs> as usual. As usual, but this time with a reason. Right. Um, you guys are almost certainly listening to this on Monday or later. We're recording this on Sunday morning. We have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> really. Except that there'll be beer drunk across the land and chips eaten and somebody's going to win. Right. And, and, and if for some reason the Super Bowl doesn't happen, uh, some sort of bizarre <laughs> post- postponement, we're just going to have egg on our face here, I guess. But uh, Well, we wouldn't be the only ones. But yeah. <laughs> Right, right. But and, uh, even though the game hasn't happened yet as we record this, I think I'm ready to concede that it isn't the Eagles here. I feel confident in saying that at this point. Right. Well, obviously, I mean, the Patriots are bound to win because they're always in this. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, 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 not there <laughs> year either. Oh, there you go. All right. All right. Yes, yes. It may be football-centric week this week, but there's plenty of boxing to break down. Fortunately, fights that we actually know are happening and that we've actually <laughs> seen that we can talk about. Uh, we have a Showtime Championship Boxing triple header to preview. Headlined by Gary Russell versus Tugstot Nyambiar, and you'll be pleased to know that we'll be calling him King Tug for yes. most of the podcast. Uh, uh, to help with that preview, we will welcome back to the show Stephen Breadman Edwards for a recurring segment that we are calling Making Bread with Breadman. It's, it's great to have not just a regular segment, but a segment with a title. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should welcome our Making Bread segment with a toast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Hey-o. Anywho, I, I was doing the uh, the David Letterman impression, tug at the collar. Uh, <laughs> yes, that, yeah. a king tug at the t- collar. Oh, so there uh, you go. You bounce uh, back. You bounce back. Uh, you. All right. Yeah. We start with this past weekend's fights, however, uh, beginning with a showbox triple header from Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, the the headliner was a prospect you and I have been somewhat split on, featherweight Ruben RV4 Via, who pitched a near shutout over 10 rounds against Alexei Collado to run his record to 18-0, still just five knockouts. Uh, one judge gave Collado one round, the other two each gave him two rounds. I've generally been very high on Via. You've been a little more lukewarm. Uh, you, you think he's skilled, but he hasn't quite been doing it for you. Uh, so I'm curious for your impressions first. Any change in your opinion of Via after this latest lopsided points win? I actually quite enjoyed watching this performance. Um, okay. And and actually, I, I guess, as I think about it, I've actually quite enjoyed his last couple. I mean, I was indifferent toward him when, uh, for certainly the first time I saw him. Um, but I have been... I don't think I really appreciated it, but I have been warming to him. I mean, to some extent, he does still require the right dance partner. He does look somebody. He does look better against someone who comes to him, or at least doesn't, you know, move away from him. But that doesn't make him unique. Um, but I think that said, you know, even if, yeah, his style is such that that he's never going to be a knockout artist. He, I mean, I, he did show again he could be more than a counterpuncher. That he can be willing to be the aggressor. He'll take the fight to his opponent. He'll dare you to do something about it, and then when you do, as he showed like in the final round, he'll spin away and leave you punching the air and make you look stupid. So, you know, even when I didn't exactly love watching him, like you said, I did respect his ability, but yeah, you know what? He is growing on me. I am enjoying him more and more. So what about you? You still enjoying the Ruben Villa show? Um, I am still 
enjoying uh, the Ruben Via show. Um, but I, I think we're moving a little closer together in, in, in huh. both directions. Because I'll admit that this time uh, my mind wandered a bit when we hit the last three rounds or so. Mm. A certain degree of monotony started to set mm-hmm. in uh, in this one. Now, early on in the fight, I was really enjoying the artistry, the craft. He, he's a master of that thing that Paulie was talking about last week where he makes the bare minimum movement to avoid a punch right. or, or take the sting off a punch and still be in a position to throw his hands. Uh, Ruben Villa really does all the subtle defensive things masterfully. And uh, and for the first half of this fight, I was really intrigued by the way Collado wasn't being as aggressive as we expected. He, he wasn't playing into Villa's hand stylistically like we thought he would. Um, and then he had a couple of rounds where he did step it up, and I thought he had a little success. I actually gave Collado the fifth round, which was the first one where he really stopped boxing right. and started applying pressure. But yeah, down the stretch, I, I got a little bored. Um, I definitely was thinking throughout the fight about how Villa's ceiling seems to be capped by his lack of power. It, yep. You know, If he can't hurt anybody, um, he can win belts, he can have a good long career, but... Can he be the undisputed king at featherweight? Can he be a pound-for-pound guy? Probably not. Others have done it. Others have made the Hall of Fame with a similar lack of pop. There's maybe a little bit of Orlando Canizales in Villa, maybe. But um, it's going to be tough. Um, But I'm still high on Ruben Villa. I still enjoy him. Um, I just, I'd love to see him hurt somebody and stop somebody. Yeah. Uh, And and as he begins to fight real contenders, it only becomes less and less likely that that's going to happen. Um, the co-feature was not entirely dissimilar from the main event, as uh, Taras Real Deal Shelgistuk boxed his way to a one-sided decision win over replacement opponent Luis Alberto Veron. Scores were 97-93 and 98-92 twice. Shelgistuk got a pretty bad cut from a clash of heads in round five. Otherwise, he didn't have much adversity or drama to deal with here. What did you think of the unbeaten Ukrainian's performance? And at age 34... Is it time to get right in there against a contender next? I thought it was a perfectly fine and serviceable outing, but but not much more than that. Look, he's technically very sound, of course, but you expect that with all his amateur experience. But he doesn't strike me as a very passionate fighter, you know. Um, I mean, even with Via, who outboxes his 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 guys, it, it just feels like he's enjoying himself in there and that he's committed to it. But but Shalistuk felt to me. He had the feel of an amateur boxer who happens to be in the pro ranks rather than a true professional fighter, if, hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's a good I mean, you know, you look at his Olympic teammates, you know, Lomachenko, Usyk, Wojtek, and they're all technically sound, of course, but they also possess that sort of something like you want to watch them and you want to see what they're going to do next. But I just I just don't feel that from Shelley Stuck. Um, you know, maybe it was ring rust you know the fact that he's fought so little lately and to your point uh, an age when he can least afford to be inactive um so i so i don't know if that was a factor or not but there were even a couple of times where you know he 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 backed veron up a little bit and then instead of unleashing a punch he, he grabbed him he was the aggressor and he backed veron up and he grabbed and i just yeah there was just like a lot a, a lack of sort of passion there um uh, but you know in an ideal world you know, like the guys ringside were saying, in an ideal world, you want to see him, particularly with his inactivity, have another fight or perhaps two at that level or a little bit above before he starts, you know, before he goes in against a real contender, especially with welterweight being so stacked. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yes, he's 34. Time is running out. Um, and, you know, as, as I think uh, uh, Raul said, if he gets the opportunity, he should take it. But I'm not, given how stacked welterweight is, I'm not sure that I see him making much noise whenever and if he does get a shot but yeah he's just a a perfectly serviceable highly competent boxer but he doesn't strike me as a huge amount more right but you know you mentioned that he had to fight a late replacement but if you thought shelly stick's opponent was a late replacement that was nothing compared to jora hamazarian's opponent uh jerry the joker perez fell out with the flu and southpaw Suleiman sagawa came in on four days notice uh he fought well but he had to settle for a draw after eight rounds scorecards were 78 74 sagawa 77 75 hamazarian and 76 76 personally i thought 76 76 76 was on the money but every round was close there were very few frames i thought which you came away thinking that either man had clearly separated himself from the other um Probably, I think, given the circumstances, uh, Hamazarian probably more reason to be disappointed than Sagawa. Um, but how did you see it? Uh, was this a case of Hamazarian, who's gotten unlucky twice in the past on Showbox, actually getting a little bit lucky this time? Yeah, I thought so. I had it 77-75 for Sagawa. Um, I hate to say nice things about a guy named Suleiman, 
but I, but I'm going to because he can fight. Um, he's a he's a really long southpaw, and those straight left hands were coming in hard and fast. And there were certain rounds in which Hamazarian just couldn't react fast enough. Uh, but it, as you said, it was one of those fights where the rounds were close. Uh, even though I did have a, a a winner on my card, I can very easily see giving four of the rounds to Hamazarian uh, and having the fight scored even as you did. It just felt. Uh, you know, taking a, stepping a, away from the round by round scoring and just sort of right. looking at the fight overall, it, it felt to me like almost all of the notable punches were being landed by Sagawa. Um, but uh, I, I thought Steve Farhead had a great line afterwards uh, when he said, "It doesn't matter who he fights, whether he's up against the best boxer in the world or the worst club fighter out there. If Hamazarian fights on Showbox, there's always an excellent chance <laughs> he'll fight him to a draw." Uh, but I definitely want to see more of Sagawa now. I'd like to see him again on Show Showbox with a with a full camp and with time to prepare yeah all right uh in other action this week the big card was the thursday night uh, pre-super bowl event in miami streamed by the zone as expected not a lot to say about the nominal main event demetrius andrade versus luke keela and certainly not much to say about the youtubers um <laughs> but plenty to say about the two undercard bouts that we singled out last week as being excellent matchups um but uh, we are obliged to do a cursory rundown, at least, of the less interesting fights, get them out of the way, and then we'll dig into the good stuff. Uh, let's get this out of the way as fast as possible in what I hesitate to call a cruiserweight bout. Jake Paul knocked Ananson Gibb down three times in the first round, and the fight was halted after just two minutes and 18 seconds. <sighs> this sets up Paul, <laughs> who is trained by Shane Mosley. Uh, for a boxing match against KSI, who beat Paul's brother. And that's enough of that. That's, um... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we did that, though, because I enjoyed your pain in, in, having to, in having to get a couple sentences out there. It was worth there it for me. It's done. It's okay. done. All right. In the main event, it was Android KO9 over Keela, uh, wearing a Darth Vader mask to the ring, because, of course, he wanted to establish that he was Luke's daddy. Um, Android <laughs> scored a knockdown. In the opening seconds of round one, another late in round two, dominated really every second of the fight uh, before finally forcing the stoppage with one second remaining around nine. Um, so the narrative around Andrade in recent years has been, you know, that the big guys, the stars don't want to fight him. Will he ever get a chance to show what he can do? Does anything change in that respect, Eric, do you think, uh, based on that performance? Yeah, I can't see why it would. Uh, the the win didn't mean anything. Uh, Keeler just isn't a world class middleweight, and while Andrade performed well, it wasn't so spectacular as to create any new buzz. Um, you know, I, I'd I'd love to see Andrade against Jamal Charlo or Sergey Drevyanchenko. Maybe one of those fights can happen. But unfortunately for Andrade, he, he's just not creating great demand. You know, I, I think the hardcore fans want him to get a shot. The non-hardcore fans have no idea who he is. Uh, Eventually, it feels to me like his promoter is going to have to grossly overpay somebody to fight him. And Andrade is going to have to take a relatively puny purse to prove himself. Uh, He turns 32 this month. I think he's reached the point where he needs to bet on himself in that way. You know, just have one of those negotiations where he makes every concession to land an opponent, and then you win and you make the money the next time. I think that's where he is right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, now let's talk about the real fights on this card. Uh, one of your favorite <laughs> prospects, Morajan MJ Akhmadaliev, stepped up against Daniel Roman and became a belt holder at 122 pounds. It was an excellent fight, I thought, and I agreed with the two cards that favored Akhmadaliev, 115-113, while a third judge gave it to Roman by the same score. So Akhmadaliev prevails by split decision. Kieran, how did you score it? Uh, how would you say MJ performed relative to your high expectations? And given that Roman came in off a short training camp due to a shoulder injury and came up just a round or two shy of victory, would you want to see a rematch? Yeah, I'd be very happy to see a rematch. Um, although I don't know that it's in either man's interest to do it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let Ahmed Aliyev have a voluntary defense. You'll probably have to do a mandatory. He picked up two belts. And I'm sure he's going to, one of the sanctioning bodies is going to force him to fight a, a mandatory. Get that out of the way. And then let Roman who, as we talked about last week, has been on a ridiculous run against unbeaten contenders and top guys. Um, you know, let that that shoulder maybe completely, you know, get its strength back up. Uh, maybe have a tune-up or two, because he just hasn't had an, an, an easy fight for a while. And, and then step back in there. Um, 
I also scored at 115-113 for Akhmadaliev. Um, but there were some close rounds in there. I could see it both a smidgen wider for MJ, and with a slight squint, I could actually see the Roman card. Um, I, I thought it was an excellent fight. Uh, like, like Sergio Mora, I did expect, I had expected it to be a bit more obviously violent, but hmm. uh, I thought that was a very good phrase that he used. You know, they were expecting like a more outwardly violent kind of fight, and that kind of summed up for me. But the quality was tremendous. Uh, you know, each man took turns to gain momentum um you know each guy was adapting constantly to the other i, I was very impressed with both of them i, I favored akhmadaliev to win as you noted because I, I do rate him so highly but at the same time this was always going to be the first real test of just how good he is you know right. roman i think is a, perhaps a little bit underappreciated or at least had been prior to thursday night despite the run that he's been on um but you know he might have actually shown in defeat just why he is such a high caliber fighter um but to me uh Akhmedaliev's footwork and ring generalship were what really won in this contest the way he was constantly moving in search of angles from which to build up attacks but also just keeping him just out of roman's optimal range you know really f- sort of preventing roman from from launching that body attack that he always likes to do um it was just an excellent fight all around, uh, I, I thought. And I think both men actually come out of this with a lot of credit. I think Akhmedaliev showed that he is the real deal. And Roman showed that he thoroughly deserves to be uh, fully respected as a, as a major contender as well. Agreed. Your your uh, belief in Akhmedaliev uh, before we'd really seen him prove it against uh, quality, uh, you know, high quality opposition uh, for now uh, looks looks well placed. Indeed. Um, uh, Akhmedaliev was, was actually the slight betting favorite uh, in that fight. Um, but in the other title bout on the card, it was the slight underdog who won. As Joseph Jojo Diaz overcame, oh, goodness me, a nasty cut. Lord <laughs> yeah. have mercy, that was horrible. Um, gosh, to get it. But he uh, seemed to be inspired by it, if anything, and, and got the better of a seemingly quite uninspired Tevin Farmer over 12 rounds of 130-pound action, uh, winning a decision by scores of 116, 112, and 115, 113 twice. And I'll tell you this, I think all of those scores were too close. Yep. There, I've said it. Uh, it's a bit <laughs> of a rough month for Philadelphia fighters. Farmer joining Jesse Hart and Julian J. Rock Williams and taking L's in January. Uh, Eric, how was Diaz able to pull off what is indeed a minor upset? Uh, same question you just asked me. You want to see a rematch? Yeah, I'd take a rematch. Uh, Why not? Uh, And my understanding is that there is a rematch clause and Farmer plans to exercise it. But I don't think it needs to happen um, because, like you apparently, I didn't think the fight was that close. Um, I was definitely more in line with the 116-112 card than the 115-113s, and and I could have certainly seen 117-111. I I thought Diaz won very clearly. Um, And I think we slept on JoJo just a little, forgot just how good he can be. He really shouldn't have been an underdog in this fight, um, and I might have identified that and placed a wager on him at plus 156 odds, uh, although I, I also bet on Danny Roman at plus 186 odds, so I only went one for two for a small profit. But, but anyway, I, I, I was a bit annoyed watching it with the broadcast crew for spending so much time wondering what's wrong with Farmer. Why is he so flat? When the answer was mostly that Joseph Diaz, Diaz was, was yeah. yeah, was throwing the straighter punches and getting home with them just a hair quicker and was really accurate and was so determined and reminded everyone, oh, yeah, this guy was a highly touted Olympic prospect for a reason. Maybe we shouldn't be writing him off because, A, he lost to the freak talent that is Gary Russell Jr., uh, who, who we'll be talking about uh, a lot more on this show, um, and B, he stepped away from the game briefly to deal with some mental health issues. And I think like the combination of those two things, taking a loss and then being public about some struggles, people kind of maybe wrote him off as a little strong. But I think people got uh, a little lower on him than they should have been, got just a hair underrated coming into this fight. I don't think he'll be underrated next time. He, he fought brilliantly and, uh, and beat Farmer convincingly, in my view. Yeah, agreed. And, and what I also liked was, you saw it pre-fight as well, that that Jojo Diaz smile was back, right? Like mm. we, we've talked to him before in person and you know, that that's a, always been that thing about Diaz is that he's a very skilled fighter, but he was also just a nice guy. And, and I thought that all came across very well. Uh, you know, it felt like Jojo Diaz was back. In, yep. in, a, in a strange way. And in fact, that might have been one of the best performances you've ever seen from him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't think of a, of a better one off the top of my head. So, yeah. All right, let's get back to the home network. Uh, the pattern of reviewing and previewing Showtime cards on every podcast continues as uh, <laughs> Showtime Championship Boxing airs live on Saturday, February 8th, beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern from the PPL Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. 
a city equally well-known for having a song written about it by Billy Joel and for being the home of Bill Detloff, my podcast ex-wife. Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> you're, my, uh, you're my second podcast wife, Karen, the one that's working out long-term. <laughs> and is it the trophy one? Uh, yeah, I didn't say that. Sure. But if you want to sure. think that way, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> to Bill Detloff, I'm a fucking prize. <laughs> Love you, Bill. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I just don't marry well. Maybe that's really uh, what's happening here. Anyway, you um, me up. <laughs> uh, all right, if you think so. Um, so, uh, longtime listeners will recall that uh, back in the HBO podcast days, Kieran was uh, always attending the fights live, and I would give the perspective of the guy who watched it on TV. We have a role reversal with this card, as I will be at the show in Allentown, and Kieran will be watching on Showtime. But joining me in attendance in Allentown will be. Mr. Gary Russell, the headline <laughs> attraction in this televised triple header as he makes the fifth defense of his featherweight belt against Tuktok Nyambayar. All right, you said it once at the top of the show. I said it once now. From this point forward, <laughs> yep, we're done. Tug, King Tug. That's how we're referring to him. Uh, Russell, a member of the 2008 U.S. Olympic team, is 30-1 and one with 18 knockouts. Tug, an Olympic silver medalist in 2012, is 11-0 with nine KOs. This is... Russell's 12th appearance on Showtime, wow. whereas it's King Tug's first. But even though you might be unfamiliar with Tug, that doesn't mean he isn't any good or hasn't fought anybody. His last three opponents were 19-0 Harmonito de la Torre, 25-3 Oscar Escandone, and 23-2 Claudio Marrero, the only southpaw he's faced before meeting the left-handed Russell. Kieran, for those who've never seen King Tug, what does he bring to the table stylistically? And do you think he's being rushed here, or is he more ready than an 11-fight record might suggest? Yeah, he's a fun fighter to watch. He, he's, a, he's a busy fighter, and I don't mean that in a sense that he's always throwing a blizzard of punches. He's not a Wayne McCulloch-type busy fighter, but it's more that he's always moving, he's circling, fainting. Um, he's kind of like a, a high-paced guy. You know, He's not the kind of opponent who will give you the opportunity to relax or breathe because... That he's always looking for an opportunity just to land anything. Um, he, he's got this kind of fairly constant flicking jab. He's got a really nice right hand that he throws straight and sometimes from quite far back. Um, he likes to sneak in a left hook to the body whenever he can. Uh, he's a sort of fighter... Like, if he sees half an opening, he'll take it. You know, some, some fighters will, will let an opportunity go looking for, like, a, a better one. He'll just see something, and he'll, he'll just go for it there. And, and if he does get the opportunity to get in front of you, he will look to tag you with a combination. And if you're still there afterwards, he will throw another combination. Um, and he's certainly not being rushed. You know, a lot of these guys from, from Eastern Europe and Central Asia with their extensive amateur careers, you know, we have to look at their pro records a bit differently. Um, yeah, he's got a bigger pro ledger than Akhmadaliev, and Akhmadaliev just did okay. So right. um, I think the question is, and this isn't one that just applies to Tug, um, it applies to you know what the freak talent, as you described him, that he's facing. Mm -hmm. It's not that he's ready for a title shot, but is he ready for Gary Russell Jr., which is an entirely different challenge. Right. Um, and talking of whom, um, the story with Gary Russell is the same as it's seemingly always been, or certainly has been for years and years. Is he ever going to get active? Uh, he hasn't fought more than once in a calendar year since 2014. But it's February. The beginning <laughs> of February, even. Yeah. Is this a harbinger for, for something? Uh, is this the year when we finally see him fight twice? Or even, dare I whisper it, three times. <laughs> um, and the thing is, but even though he's only fought once a year, he's always performed well, no matter how inactive he's been. Um, but that said, now he's in his 30s. So does that mean that we're at the stage where maybe we do have to start worrying about his inactivity catching up with him? I don't think so, on account of uh, he's 31, not like 36 or right. 38 or anything, and he never gets out of shape. This is a guy whose career low weight was 125.5, and, and his career high was 128. Uh, that's absurd yeah. that he is... Yeah always coming in the, the exact same weight within a, within a pound or two. So uh, he could lose this fight because King Tug is no joke, but I don't see it being because Russell isn't sharp or has gone stale sitting on the shelf or anything like that. Uh, if anything, if anyone is going to be rusty, actually, Tug is coming in off a longer layoff. He hasn't fought mm. in 13 months compared to nine months for Russell. Uh, so, look, is this the year when Russell gets active instead of poking his head out of his little groundhog hole for one night, seeing his shadow and going back into hibernation? Uh, nobody knows. Uh, I'm convinced that not even Gary Russell knows, um, because 
he really seemed to genuinely believe when we talked to him last year that things were going to change. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, they didn't. Um, I'm encouraged that he's fighting on February 8th. Uh, that that opens the door, at least, for him to fight several times this year. But we all know there's an excellent chance we're having this exact same conversation a year <laughs> from now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I want really big fights for him. Um, I'd settle at this point for Russell fighting a second time in 2020 against anyone. Um, and I'm glad he's fighting Saturday and he's in with a real opponent. And uh, and maybe we shouldn't be looking past that right now and worrying about right. what comes next. Yeah. Um, in the co-feature, we have another talented Southpaw Olympian with the initials GR about whom fans have strong opinions. Another fighter who has arguably not fulfilled his potential. Another fighter whose only loss came against Vasily Lomachenko. I'm talking about Guillermo Rigondeau fighting for the third time since the Loma loss and the first time since dare I say it, an entertaining win last June over Julio <laughs> Ceja. Uh, but Rigondeau was trailing in that fight and needed a controversial stoppage to pull it out. So you have to wonder how close he is to the end at age 39. And to make matters potentially worse, he's dropping in weight at that advanced boxing age, moving down to Bantamweight to face Venezuela's Liborio Solis, who is no young man himself at 37. Kieran, if you have any insights on the veteran Solis, feel free to share them. But what I'm more curious about is your take on Rigo. How close to washed do you think he is after watching that Seha fight? Yeah, so I don't know that he's washed or even if he's necessarily very close to washed, but the I do think the way he was fighting in that fight was a sign that he himself is, is fully aware that, you know, he doesn't have the fleetness of foot anymore that wants to find him um, and that he's going to have to adapt as he enters his, you know, twilight in ring years. It's very similar, isn't it, to Aristandi Lara, his compatriot, who, you know, perhaps even more than Rigondeau was known for being a skilled boxer who could be brutally boring at times to watch. Um, but he of late has sort of been digging his toes into the canvas and making oh, yeah. some fun fights. So, um, you know, and I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe Rigo's going all the way down in weight in an attempt to regain a little bit of that lightness and movement. Or maybe it's because he knows that, you know, he, he's going to be a lot more stationary and he feels that maybe he's going to have more effect against smaller opponents than he is against bigger ones. I don't know. Um, you know what? The Seha fight reminded me a little bit of Pernell Whitaker against Diabellis Hurtado. You know, oh, yeah. when, okay. you know, Whitaker is a guy renowned for his defensive brilliance at the tail end of his career, was forced to be in a slugfest against an underdog, needed an uncharacteristic come from behind late knockout to win. Um, and Whitaker then went on to face Oscar De La Hoya and he lost, but he did well. Right. Um, so maybe Rigondeau does have one more good big fight in him. Of course, Sweet Pea wasn't dropping down a junior lightweight after Hurtado, which is sort of the approximate equivalent to what Rigo is doing uh, is doing now. But but who knows? Maybe those those situations are a little bit analogous. Hmm. Um, look at me bringing the history, eh? Hey, <laughs> well hey. done. Ah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's one more fight on that televised card. 130-pound bout to open the show between 25-year-old Panamanian prospect Jaime Arboleda, 15-1 with 13 knockouts, and Puerto Rican veteran Jason Velez, 29-5-1 with 21 KOs. Uh, Arboleda is a lethal left-hook puncher. He's tall for the weight of 5'11". He's got most of the ingredients you look for in a prospect, except he doesn't have a zero in his record. In his only previous fight in the U.S., he was shockingly knocked out and knocked out in the third round by lightly regarded uh, Rocky Dulay. Uh, he's won five since, but now he faces a bit of a test in Velez, who's tangled with the likes of the aforementioned Jojo Diaz, Ronnie Rios, Juanma Lopez, Evgeny Gradovich, can I remember him, yeah. and uh, Ryan Garcia. Uh, Velez has always had a great chin, and he's never been stopped. Uh, so does this come down, do you think, to Arbaleda's hook against Velez's chin? And, and from what you've seen, how high are you on Arbaleda as a prospect? Yeah, Arbaleda's hook versus Velez's chin is definitely the headline matchup within the matchup. Um, but Velez is a, a solid puncher, too. His last five wins have all come by knockout, so his power against Arbaleda's questionable chin is something to watch for as well. Mm -hmm. Um there's a grainy crowd video of Arbaleda's loss to Recky Dulay. I guess uh, you you probably stumbled across that as well. That's uh, that's all that I could find was somebody in like the fourth row uh, shooting it. Right. But uh, boy, he took a right hand and went down, 
and his legs were going every which direction when he tried to get up. Um, Maybe it was a fluke, or maybe Arboleda has chin issues. Hard to know which it is at this point, but Velez should help us figure that out. Uh, But offensively, there's a lot to like with Arboleda. He likes to crouch down and then pop up, firing the left hook. Uh, So we'll see how well Velez has that move scouted. But uh, he's always in there looking for the knockout. The power is real, and he's a good body puncher with both hands. This shapes up as a really interesting crossroads fight. Uh, and, and it's not an easy fight for me to predict. Uh, but I'll, I'll stall a little bit on that front. Uh, we will make our predictions for all three fights shortly. But uh, first, uh, let's dial up an old friend, shall we? Indeed. Uh, we are happy to welcome back for the first time in 2020 a guest who is very popular with our listeners as a result of his appearances on the tail end of last year. So much so that in 2020 he will be a regular previewer of Showtime Championship Boxing Cards in a segment that we are calling Making Bread with Breadman. Stephen Breadman Edwards, welcome back. How do you like that as a segment title, man? Oh, man. I like it. Hopefully I can make some money from bread. <laughs> Cash at me something. There you go. <laughs> um, well, as always, we're, we're eager to hear your insights on the, the fighters on Saturday's Showtime Championship boxing card in Allentown. Uh, but first, uh, we do want to get your reaction to and, and insights into what happened to your fighter, Julian J. Rock Williams, a couple of weeks ago. It seemed once Julian got cut in the second round, he never quite settled down and got comfortable. Was that the big problem, that the cut threw him off, or, or was it something else? In short... Um, what went wrong, would you say? Uh, the cut was definitely a factor. Um, it was kind of like one of those Murphy's Law type of things. Like, everything that could go wrong did go mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, he kept pawing at the cut. And, uh, you know, I really, you know, the, the word that you used, he couldn't settle down. I don't know. It was like uh, it just did something to him. What's weird is that he's been cut before. He's been cutting seven other fights, and he's won those fights and actually scored knockouts in most of them. I don't know what it was about this cut that uh, that kind of just, like, drove him crazy a little bit. It was really mm-hmm. strange. But, um, you know, I, I love the kid. Like, that's my son. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was hard to, uh, you know, hard to stomach. But we just got to just get over it, man. You know, um, I still believe in him, you know. There were some things that went wrong that, you know, I don't want to speak on. You know, uh, you, can't, you can't make excuses in a boxing about a boxing match when you get in the ring. And, uh, you know, you know, Julian just has to keep his confidence. He has to stay mentally strong. He's been here before. You know, we, we have a rematch clause. Uh, we got to just figure some things out. And I believe he can be Jason Rosario. I do. But I got to give Jason Rosario credit, you know. He, he Julian didn't get cut uh, by the win. He got cut by a punch, you know. Right. The kid came and fought, fought a good fight. And as a trainer, you got to, you know, if you can't, you know, look at the other guy and you want to keep making up excuses for this and, and that, you know, that, 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 that is counterproductive to what, you know, to how to get better. Jason Rosario fought a good fight. He, he 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 executed his game plan. He did different things to take away some of Julian's favorite punches. You could tell he studied Julian. Um, he was countering Julian with a right hand, counting Julian's right hand with a right hand. He did good. He 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 showed up better than he ever showed before in any other fights. And that was a that, that that's the number one factor, you know. Like right. Jason Rosario is the number one factor. Yeah. So you know, can't just say everything is the cut and different things. The guy fought his butt off, and when you fight that well under those circumstances, then, you know, it leads to a big victory. You know, at the end of the day, one thing that I always told you is you have to be your best when your best is needed. Mm. And it's very important. A better fighter doesn't always win the fight, but the better fighter on that night wins the fight. And it's very important that, you know, fighters understand that. And, um, you know, like I said, it's a tough loss. Hard for me to look at, hard for me to talk about, but it's part of the game, man. You got to be able to compartmentalize and move on, and that's just mm. that. Mm. You talked about how he needs to be mentally strong. How, how is he doing? I mean, is he the kind of fighter who you, you said like he's been here before and come back, but is he the kind of guy who will get over this relatively quickly and, and, and learn um, from it, or, or is he having a bit of trouble shaking this off? 
I don't know. You know, okay. what a fighter says and what he does is different. You know, mm. I don't know. Mm. If he needs me, I haven't seen him since the fight, but we have talked. Okay. You know, we had private conversations about things, and I told him the things that I thought that went wrong. You know, and I told him it was some things that we had talked about earlier, you know, that needed to be addressed that weren't. And, you know, he just simply said, Steve, don't stop believing in me. You know, and um, I told him I don't. He just has to listen to certain things. And I said, and he said, uh, I want to get the guy back. I got to get him back. Mm-hmm. And I agreed with him. I said, let's get him back. Get yourself together. Get the cut healed. Get a little plastic surgery on the cut. And let's get him back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm not going to keep calling him and bothering him. You know, because he's his range of emotions right now are... It's a huge range. I'm feeling mm. the loss right. as a trainer, as like the person that's most identifiable with him. You know what I mean? I'm as close as you could be in the ring without being in the ring. You feel what I'm saying? Right. So like I felt the loss. I felt the embarrassment of losing at home. I felt like I didn't even stay at the hotel that night. That's how like, like I got up at one o'clock in the morning and left and went home. You know, I couldn't take all of the people in the lobby celebrating. It made me sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, like, it's it's man, this shit is like losing. It's like losing a family member. But you got to get over. We got over before, and you know, we did something nobody thought we could do. You know, um, I think I think we can get over it again. Julian just is he's just going to have to adjust some things, and he's going to have to listen to me. Or, you know, whoever he he trusts, he's going to have to listen to a wise word about some things because as good as Jason Rosario fought, there were some things that could have been prevented in this camp and leading up to the fight that didn't have to happen. And as a team, it's 100% our fault. You know, there's no blaming. There's 100% our fault. fault. And as the coach, it's 100% my responsibility. Regardless if it's my fault or not, I got to make sure certain things are right. So... You know, I, right now I know I know him. I know he has to feel terrible. Just imagine social media and things like that. I know he has to feel terrible. You lose at home, the city's finally backing you. You got you got a lot of things going, and you lose a fight. I know he has to feel terrible, but you know he, you have to use that as fuel. He's not the first guy to lose at home. He's not the first guy to get stopped at home. He gotta use that as fuel and figure it out and find a way to come back better. That's what he has to do, or 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 not fight anymore, which is something that I'm sure he doesn't want to do at 29 years old. Right. You know what I mean? But those those are, those are the two things he's gonna have to figure out as far as you know boxing is concerned. But I'm there for him. You know, uh, I don't treat him with kids' gloves. You know, I tell him how I feel. When it's time to show empathy, I show empathy. But when it's time to take responsibility for things, you gotta man up and take responsibility for things. You know, when he lost to Charlo, people had all these different rumors and he was saying a bunch of stuff. Oh, this happened. It was a layoff. There was no this. No. I said, I said, let me tell you something. Charlo threw a great shot. You overreached with your right hand. And he countered you. You have to give him credit. We talked about rehydrating up to 169 or 170 pounds. You had all your rehydration in your room. You rehydrated up to 162 pounds for whatever reason. I have no idea why you didn't drink your rehydration solutions and you were fighting a huge puncher. We got to adjust. And I, I treated them arrogant Karen. That's exactly what I told him. Mm. You know what I mean? It wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't no, I, I, we didn't, I didn't make no excuses for him and things like that. And there was a whole lot of things leading up to that fight that was, uh, that was against us. But I told him the things that we could have controlled. And that's the most important thing to recognize. Even though that there was things, you know, that could have went better for the Rosario fight, there were things that happened that we could have controlled that we didn't. And, you know, as a coach and as, you know, his mentor and as somebody that treats him like a son, he got to be able to take that from me. Right. And that's just how I feel, you know. And I told him and, you know, hopefully – we haven't talked in a few days. We, we we text a couple of times, but I haven't seen them and we haven't talked. 
And uh, but if he, uh, you know, once he wants to start talking, we talked obviously after the fight a couple of times. But once he wants to start talking and once he wants to start opening up, then I'm there for him. You know, uh, it's gonna take some time, and I expect it. It's a process. You know, it's a when a fighter loses a fight like that, it's a grieving process. It's a there's a whole lot of things that they go through. I know it because I've been through it before with them. You know what I mean? It's a lot of things that they go through. And you, it's just, it's just a, it's, 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 a, it's timing. You know, it's not something that happens overnight. You kind of got to ease your way into it. Right. So, you know, as time passes, you know, uh, we'll just see. You know, uh, my attitude for everything at this point, man, is we'll see. Okay. You know, I don't want to push the carriage before the horse. We got to just see how things work out. Right. right. Well, hopefully uh, you guys will bounce back together from this the same way you did from uh, the Charlo fight. And I, I know you said it's, it's, it's tough to talk about. So, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll move on to a, to a different subject here um, and, and talk about a uh, Saturday showtime card uh, where the, the headliner is Gary Russell jr. Meeting tug Nambayar. Uh Obviously Russell doesn't have the resume to crack top 10 pound for pound lists, but just in terms of talent, I'm curious how how highly do you regard him? Is, is is he a guy you believe could be one of the very best in the sport if he would just fight more often? I do, I do, I really do. Um, I don't, you know what? I don't know how to phrase this. I'm gonna try to phrase it in the most respectful way I can. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he uh, he fights so infrequent because I think it damages his legacy and his standing in the sport. You know people don't realize how much of a difference one fight a year and two fight a year makes. You know what I mean? Uh, and, I mean, could you imagine if he fought three times a year? I mean, when, when, I, when, God, when I say that to God, they, I, you know, boxers are not the most brightest guys in the world, man. And when I say that to a fighter, they're like, you know, I don't want to pay taxes on the money. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about you don't want to pay taxes? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. The more taxes you pay, the more money you made. So you don't turn – can you imagine if you got one extra fight a year and you were averaging maybe $2 million a purse and you did that over five-year times? That's an extra $10 million in your lifetime earnings. So um, – and not just for money purposes, just for staying sharp, just for being better – I just, you know, I guess that's just Gary Russell's system, and I'm not knocking it at all. I'm not criticizing him. But I do think that if you're a five-year reigning champion, which he is, that if he was to fight twice a year, which gives you, which would give him double-digit title defenses in a, in a, a really good division, it would, it would put him at a different level as far as, like, where he's regarded at in boxing. Right. I don't know, man. I, I I think I think very highly of him, but I think his inactivity with the critics and things like that, I think it hurts him, you know. But that's what he does, and you know, more power to him. He's a he's a really good fighter, and he does uh um he does a good job. The, the ring rust doesn't show on him, you know what I mean? He's able to get away with it. So I don't know. That's uh it's it's very unique. I've never I've never seen a fighter that's comfortable fighting once a year when you don't have injury or you're not like on that, the money tour, like a guy who makes a bunch of money and he comes back and picks his opponents. Like maybe like Ray Leonard did late in his career or, or Floyd Mayweather. I've never just seen a guy in his prom just do that. This is, it's very unique for me to watch, to watch the way he does this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like under normal circumstances, you would feel like you would do everything in your power. If you had a guy like that to, urge them to not fight once a year. Like normally you would feel it would be incredibly detrimental. Or, or do you think, is he an outlier? Or, or if you've got somebody who's staying in shape and, and keeping active in the gym, is maybe not fighting that often not as detrimental? Uh, obviously it works for him, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I believe that the more you do something, the better you get at it, especially when mm. you're talking about skill things. And boxing is a sport of skill. It's also a sport of conditioning. So obviously he has to stay extremely conditioned in between fights because if he just went to the gym literally the once a year that he had to fight for eight-week camp, there's no way he could be in the condition that he's right. in. Right. So obviously he has a really, really good off-season workout, you know, uh, which allows him to be able to fight once a year and carry his conditioning over. So um, it's, uh, it's unique, you know, but more power to him. Uh, obviously he's not taking a punishment on his body. Right. But, um, you know, uh, if it was my guy, I probably wouldn't 
you know, it wouldn't be something I recommend. If you get sharper when you when you fight more, but you know, he's a he's a unique fighter. Right now, I'm I'm not sure how much you've seen of his opponent, uh, King Tug. Uh, but uh, assuming you've watched him a, a bit, uh, do you have any sense of whether he has the tools to deal with with Gary Russell's speed and and make this fight competitive? I think he will. Okay. I think he will. I think he will. He's a he's a solid fighter. Um, he's strong. Um, I think he's uh he's well conditioned. He uh he has decent pedigree. I think he will make the fight competitive. I don't think Gary Russell is going to blow this kid out at all. Um, also on the card, uh, we have Guillermo Rigondeau. Uh, straightforward question here. Do you think he's got anything left? He's 39 years old now. Yes. Straightforward answer. There you <laughs> yes, go. Moving on. <laughs> so, so, so that struggle that he, that he had uh, in, in his last fight, you don't read too much into that. You think uh, he's... Well, I didn't say that. I okay. Think, you know, being... Uh, having having something left and being at your peak is two different things. Right, right. He's not totally done. You know what I mean? He still can fight. Anybody can't beat him. You know, the struggle that he had in his last fight, he still was able to score a brutal knockout. Um, you know, so anybody's just not going to walk in the ring and beat him. Is he uh, the ring endowed that fought Noneal Denaire? No. That's obvious. But yeah, he does have something left. You know, uh, it's going to take still a, a really, really big effort on whoever's fighting them in order to beat them. Okay. Um, and, and then the, the opening bout uh, on the card is Jaime Arboleda versus Jason Velez. Uh, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with Velez. He's been around a while. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to familiarize yourself with Arboleda. H- have you seen him? Do you have an opinion? Or, or will you be getting um, your, your first look on Saturday? I've seen a little bit of him. Okay. But what I, I, I try not to like speak on a guy that I don't know well enough to kind of you know what I mean? Uh, right. When you're talking about advising somebody to bet on the fight, you got to be careful with speaking on the guy that you don't know right. that well. Right. So I haven't seen a lot of these guys. Not a lot of footage on them. Yes. Uh, so this this is one you're, uh, you're you're not advising anyone to go one way or the other. You just don't know enough. No, and you'll you'll, you'll scout him on Saturday much, with the rest of us. <laughs> you got it. And I don't know how much Velez has in the tank. Right. You know, right. So, you know, it's, that's a tough fight to, to uh, judge. Okay. All right got a quick final question for you uh we've had a bit of a philly boxing theme on the podcast start of the year we, we had danny garcia on a couple of weeks ago there's been lots mm-hmm. of philly fighters including your own uh, in action uh as a top philly trainer what does philly fighter mean to you um you know i'm gonna be totally honest about this when you live in philly right you don't look at it the way the outside world does you know, uh, that's just part of the the like part of the everyday life of going to the gym. You don't realize it until you go somewhere else. You know, if it's like it's like when people ask me about the Rocky statue or the steps in the art museum or the Liberty Bell, all these things that Philadelphia is known for, like you kind of, or cheesesteak. We take that for granted because we live here. I probably ate 10,000 cheesesteaks in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I've walked past the Rocky statue. Literally, I, I was an extra in Rocky too as a little kid. Oh, you know? really? Wow, uh, okay. Yeah, run, running behind them. So, like, that's, like, that kind of stuff is not, I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but it's not something that you consciously take in as a, uh, when you're in the gyms of Philadelphia when you, at one time, our gym had Julian Williams, Eric Hunter, Steve Cunningham, Hank Lundy, Carl Dargan, Rock Allen, and a few other guys, all training at the same time, mm-hmm. just walking in the gym, just training. Now, to a person that's in the media or reported, like, oh, my God, there's an Olympian, cruiserweight champion of the world, young rising junior prospect. Carl Dargan won the Pan Am Games. Hank Lundy is a is a contender at 135 and 140. Like, they would have been saying all that, but it was just a gym. You know, right. so we don't – when you're in Philly, it doesn't look like that. But I will say there has been a renaissance over the last couple of years with Julian and Tevin Farmer winning titles, Danny Garcia always being a mainstay at the top, and with the emergence of uh, – Boots Ennis and Stephen Fulton, you right. know, it's kind of like, wow, these guys are producing a large number of top fighters at the same time. We've always had 
top guys, but to have this many guys at the same time is kind of uh, unique. All right, brother. Hey, listen, man, thanks very much for joining us as always. Really appreciate your insight and uh, all the best. Hope you get some good conversations with Julian and you guys are able to get back on track and move forward. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you again for joining us, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right. All right. As promised, it is time to make our predictions. Eric, you are ahead 14 to 12 after we both got the maximum three points for Villa Collado. Uh, and it's your turn to pick first. Uh, let's work our way up from the opener to the main event. And let's do these undercard fights lightning round style. What's your quick pick of Jaime Arboleda against Jason Velez? I'm tempted to pick the upset here. Uh, Velez is very sturdy and just dangerous enough offensively to spring the upset if Arboleda is indeed a little chinny. But... I'll make the guess that the Dulé loss was fluky. Arboleda has looked good and confident in knocking out five straight since then. I'll say the winning streak continues, but the knockout streak ends. I'm saying Arboleda <laughs> by competitive, unanimous decision. Very, very, very similar notes. Um, okay. uh, you know, I, I don't. This, I find this was a tough one to pick. I'm not sure that any of the fights on this card are slam dunks. Uh, and two I thought were quite tough. Yep. Um, Arboleda doesn't have a stellar level of opposition yet. Velez does. And, and like you, I almost fancy the veteran to pull off the upset. In fact, I initially was kind of scribbling down. I think I'm going with the upset. But looking at Arboleda, I think he's got something a bit special, like you said, offensively. Um, and I do think Velez will last the distance. I am, uh, as you, going Arboleda by uh, unanimous decision. Um, okay. As for Rigandao Solis, uh, the big questions here are Rigo's age and how he copes with being at 118. I say he is smart and fit enough to cope with bantamweight and savvy and skilled enough to deal with Solis, who is, as you noted yourself, no spring chicken himself. Um, I'm going to go Rigandao by unanimous decision in a surprisingly entertaining contest. Okay. Um, so I asked you earlier if uh, Rigo is washed. I didn't give uh, my answer to that question. I would say that uh, I don't think he is washed offensively. I do fear that his <laughs> reflexes have dulled to the point that he's become kind of an average defensive fighter. Um, so, yeah, I I'm with you in the th these fights. Uh, you know, I, I really thought hard about the upset in both of them. Uh, if Solis was a little younger himself, I'd have an easier time picking yep. it. Um, but... No, what the hell? Let's take a shot. Uh, let's let's take a shot and say that Rigo can't take a shot so well anymore. I am going to go with Laborio Solis upset knockout in round eight. How do you like that? Well, there you go. That could could send you blasting off into the stratosphere in terms of points. It could, or not. Or it could send me sinking down to your level. <laughs> um, <laughs> the horror. <laughs> uh, by picking uh, the upset there, that means... I don't have to pick the upset in Russell Nambayar in order to be cool and contrarian. I've done my duty on that front. Um, but uh, this is another fight where the underdog is live. I really believe Tug is a threat to Russell. He's fast. He's explosive. He's well-schooled. I think he'll give Mr. Gary Russell real problems. Um, but it's tough to pick Tug when he's been dropped by the likes of Oscar Escandone and Harmonito de la Torre. Both flash knockdowns, and the Escandone one was partially a slip, but still. He's gotten clipped and gone down, and Russell has never been knocked down. I could see this fight playing out a few different ways. There's a certain safety in saying Russell by decision, but I'm going to say that Tug is ambitious enough to take some chances late in the fight if he's behind, and Russell makes him pay for that. Let's say Gary Russell by stoppage in round 11 of a very good fight. Nice. I, I, I like the look of King Tug, as I said. Uh, he's a skill fighter. He's an entertaining one. I, I, he's the kind of guy who I, I think I will consistently enjoy watching him fight. Um, you know, but he has nine KOs and 11 fights, and his two decision wins have come in his last three contests, which kind of suggests that maybe he's starting to reach his level. He struggled mm -hmm. a little bit down the stretch against uh, his last opponent, Claudio Moreira, who, as you mentioned earlier, uh, is the only southpaw he's faced to this point. Um, I think that... I could see a situation in which King Tug, who does have a slightly unconventional uh, approach, uh, is maybe causing Gary Russell some trouble early on, and it's a quite an even contest early on. But I just think that Russell's lightning fast hand speed is is going to be a real factor here. And after a while, uh, as uh, King Tug is is looking to try and come in, Russell's going to be countering the bejeebus out of him. And I think once he gets him timed against the measure of him i could actually see tug looking a bit confused and dispirited and i actually think 
that probably it's going to be a situation where instead of him sort of really stepping on the gas to try to catch up, he's going to be one of those deer in the headlights kind of guys over the last few rounds. And for that reason, I think he's going to last the distance. I am going to, we are in for a late night, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I think it is Russell by unanimous decision. Yeah. So you've got all three fights going the distance, huh? All right. Yeah. I, 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 one more reason for me to hope that my picks are the correct picks. So. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Part of me will, part of me will be rooting for your picks. There's okay. no question. <laughs> all right. So those are our picks. Uh, remember that you can make yours with the DraftKings Showtime Pick'em. $5,000 in prizes plus swag bags being given away for every Showtime Championship boxing card. And there are more elements to predict in 2020. DraftKings has gotten creative. In addition to picking winners and methods of victory for all the fights, you also have to predict whether the fighters will touch gloves before the opening bell, which boxer will land more power punches, and whether there will be six or more knockdowns in the fight, <laughs> uh, which uh, I'll give you some free advice here. Uh, the over <laughs> isn't going to deliver on that one very often, uh, but it's fun. It's free. And uh, what kind of a sick person doesn't like right. swag bags, right? Uh, right. And yeah, you can't win if you don't play. So uh, go to DraftKings.com Showtime to make your picks. All right. Um, by the way, there's no non-Showtime fights really worth uh, previewing this week. Uh, we do have Kel Brook fighting in Sheffield, England against Mark DeLuca. DAZN is streaming that card. Uh, there are some interim title fights in Panama, and really, who doesn't love a good interim title fight? <laughs> um, there's a separate card in Panama with a strawweight belt at stake. There's a flyweight title fight in Kiev, but, you know, uh, nothing we really need to dig into. So let's just get straight to the news, shall we? A um, couple of items to hit this week. Uh, first, going back to the January 25th Showtime main event. Um, the New York State Athletic Commission has ruled on Ivan Redcatch biting Danny Garcia on the shoulder. Uh, the commission suspended Redcatch's boxing license for a full year. Um, they're giving him the maximum fine of $10,000, and they're saying he has to forfeit his $300,000 purse, although ESPN's Dan Raphael report that Redcatch already deposited that check very wise. Um, so that punishment seems really excessive to me. Uh, sure, find the guy, suspend him, although a year's suspension seems pretty harsh. Um, but taking his whole purse, to me, seems really an overreaction to what happened. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'm right in line with you. This this pisses me off. It really does. Um, the guy had a bad moment in the ring, a regrettable moment. And you want to make a statement that, that, that we won't stand for biting. I get that. Most fouls, the point deduction is the penalty. You, you throw a right. blatant low blow, you hit a guy while he's down, something like that. The ref takes action, and, and that's that. No punishment after the fight. Biting is worse in a way. I, I get that. So I'm okay with the $10,000 fine. I'm okay with the suspension. A year seems like a lot. Uh, you know, six months might be more fair. But then again, he might not have fought in the next six months anyway. So, okay, a year, you make him miss out on probably one fight. But to try to deny him his purse from this yeah. fight, uh, it's not like he didn't give an honest effort in the ring. Um, I, I get it if a fighter quits in the first round and isn't trying or something. But right. Redcatch went 12 hard rounds with Danny Garcia. He earned his purse. This is yeah. bullshit. And uh, the New York Commission should be ashamed for trying to take his hard-earned money. I don't know if they have a budget shortage and they're desperately <laughs> in need of funds or if they just want to be able to give themselves fatter bonus checks at the end of the year. I don't know. Maybe there's nothing shady at play and they just think they're doing the right thing. But to me, they aren't. This is this is total BS. When when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield, the maximum that Nevada could find him was 10 percent of his purse. He got to keep all the rest. And that, that was a huge purse. You can't take the whole thing from Red Catch. Three hundred thousand dollars. That's that's money he presumably needs. And of course, half of it, especially goes if he to... can't fight for a year. Right. It, exactly. <laughs> it's you know, there's that that it's basically his only paycheck for the year. And on top of that, he doesn't take home three hundred K is paying taxes and managers and trainers and whatnot. Um, he needs that money, I presume. And so I am legitimately disgusted by the New York Commission on this one, if uh, if everything being reported is true. Uh, but uh, OK, R my rant is over. But if I find out that they got his purse, I, I shall rant again. I promise you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only other news item uh, worth discussing isn't quite fully formed news yet, uh, but we'll mention it. Promoter Eddie Hearn said that, as we expected, Anthony Joshua will fight one of his mandatory challengers, Kubrat Pulev, next, and that it will probably take place in the UK in May or June. Kieran, I imagine you're heartbroken that Saudi Arabia isn't in the mix to host this fight. 
Oh, yeah, look, I mean, look, there are still people out there who determinedly cling to the notion that Saudi Arabia is a regime that chops up journalists and denies human rights, rather than it actually being a squeaky clean, wonderful place for <laughs> global sporting events. So um, really, we need to have more and more of those so that, you know, people's uh, image of, of the place is, is appropriate, really. So here, yeah, here. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think you know, we'll talk about it more once the fight is all sorted. But, you know, Joshua should win against Pulev. Uh, there's also some talk of Alexander Usyk facing, I think it's Derek Chisora, and what would be a really good fight to get a good sense of where Usyk stands in the heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. And then if they both win, then we might see uh, Usyk and Joshua fight later in the year for what I think would be a fantastic fight. So. Yep. All right. That will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. The non-stop Showtime cards keep coming. So next week, we will review the Championship Boxing Show in Allentown with some on-the-scene insights from Eric. And the Philly thing continues as well, as we will also preview a Valentine's Day Showbox quadruple header from the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>